Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent, and as you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, which is available now as an audiobook, a paperback, but the ebook, oh, esteemed reader, the ebook is free. Yes, free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Um, once you're hooked on the series, come back with cash money for Banneker Bones and the Alligator People and Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy. You're going to have a good time. Uh, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written some novels for older readers, including my young adult novel, All Together Now, A Zombie Story. For more information about all of that and more importantly, for interviews with literary agents, editors, authors, publicists, book people, the world's best people, head to middlegradedenture.com. I couldn't be more excited. My guest today is none other than Megan Tosi. Uh, Megan, welcome to the program. Hello. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to chat with you. We've got all kinds of wonderful stuff to talk about, including your new novel, Squashed, uh, which is available here September 20th, esteemed audience. You can go ahead, and if you're listening to us as this comes out, you can pre-order your copy. If you're listening to this after the 20th, good news, it's already available. Go get your hands on it. Um, so esteemed audience knows that I never torture my guests by making them sit through me summarizing either their book or their biography, how painful that would be for you. Um, so if you would give uh, esteemed audience an overview of your background, and we'll go from there. I guess I started drawing pretty much when I could hold a pencil. And then I started drawing comics in like fifth grade with one of my friends. It was like, if I remember correctly, it was like something to do with aliens and like really big headed characters that were really wonky. Um, let's see, I went to college in California. So I grew up in New Hampshire, went to college in California and actually studied animation. And then after I graduated, I bounced around a little bit and I did like some stop motion animation gigs. I worked as a barista for a little while and I worked at this little art studio that did resin painting. It was actually kind of cool. So I wasn't, didn't start getting into books until like a few years after that when my dad was a writer and he had a novel that he was publishing and he was like, I need some illustrations for this would you do them for me? And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, so that's how that started. And then he posted on Twitter for this hashtag hitmad. I think it's, it's called hitmad. And that's how my agent found me. And then we've just been making books ever since. And, and your agent is Laura Bradford of the Bradford Agency? Yep. That's true. Uh, and so all kinds of, of, of questions about uh, certainly working uh, with your father, which I assume you're enjoying because you've got uh, what one, two, three, uh, soon to be or two, soon to be three books available. Um, yeah, two that I worked on with him, one that I did myself, and then we're working on another one right now. Gotcha. And so when you were growing up and you start to show that you have an aptitude for art, do you think there's a part of him that's thinking one day, I, I think I see my future illustrator? <laughs> oh, maybe. I don't know. I, we 
did a different interview very recently where we kind of touched on that too and he jokingly was like yeah my my wife and I that was our plan the whole time you know to have kids and then make them our creative partners and make them do work for us <laughs> but I don't know <laughs> I, I don't think so I think it just kind of fell into that and I just I think it's really cool that I happen to have a lot of similar interests to my parents and it just uh, and so when you're uh, working in stop motion and animation, that always strikes me as both uh, amazing and incredibly tedious. It's wonderful to sit back and watch, you know, the nightmare uh, before Christmas when it's complete. But the, how, how long of a setup are we taking and, and, and how long does it take you to get a project uh, completed? Oh, for animation? See, when I was in school and I did my like my senior project was a stop motion animated film and it was like like five minutes long but it took me the entire semester to do it. I'd spent one semester creating the whole set and the puppets and everything from scratch and then the second semester filming it and yeah it's it's a long process but I think that actually kind of helps because bookmaking is also a really long process. So it kind of helped build up that like endurance that you need to keep going on projects, I think. So uh, let's uh, dive right into Squashed on a project like Squashed. How long um, would it, does it take you to complete a graphic novel? Um, depends on the graphic novel, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Usually I can get through, like today I'm working on a new one that's like a part two to Dweedy, pretty much, and I'm just doing the line work and I can get through like roughly three pages a day if I'm sitting down, but like just sketching it out and everything. Um, yeah, it depends on how long the book is squashed. We also, I wasn't working on it full-time yet so it was kind of like a I had a full-time job and then was doing that on the side as well so I want to say it took a little over a year to complete it and that one's only like 70 pages long that was the full-time job where you were creating resin art yeah so is that uh, when you're working and doing art like that does that uh, when you come home it's just like oh more work uh or is it a different enough art when you're when you're doing a graphic novel versus resin art that it's, it's it's like a whole new thing i think it's it's different enough that i'm still motivated enough especially when it's like working on somebody else's art versus working on my own like i'm obviously way more passionate about doing the stuff that's just my own and what I want to do so yeah <laughs> it's not too hard so I promised uh, not to make you sit through me summarizing your work um so what does esteemed audience need to know about squashed available here September 20th well squashed is a short graphic novel and it's about these two kids who go into the woods and they find this really strange looking pumpkin and they take it home and then come to find out a 
oh, it's not a spoiler, but a <laughs> scarecrow is actually, they stole the pumpkin from the scarecrow and the scarecrow has to track them down and try to get it back. And then at the end, there's a happy surprise about what is really, what the pumpkin really is. And it's, I don't call it a horror because I don't think it's that scary, but it's like a spooky autumn time, but also heartwarming book. Well, it's a perfect read, especially for the middle grade crowd uh, who's looking for something that's fall themed that is a little bit scary for Halloween, but that without spoiling is not going to end um, darkly or <laughs> yeah. yeah, there we go. Uh, but well, I say that, but who do you have an ideal reader in mind for this? Um, it's labeled as a young reader's book, and I could see it being very appealing to young readers, especially anybody who's into anything like supernatural and spooky. But um, I think while I was drawing it, I was trying to keep everybody in mind, and I also feel like there's a lot of people who are my age or older who would also still really enjoy it. So hopefully everybody. Well, I'm well beyond middle grade years and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I also uh, enjoyed the, the, the earlier uh, film version. I uh, saw that too. Uh, esteemed audience can head to, is it dooneypress.com to see the film? Yeah, it's on Dooney Press. So Squash the Film is, is available now. And is that you in the movie? It is, yeah. <laughs> it's me and my brother. And I want to say we were 7 and 11 years old at the time. So this is a, this is a family project your dad directed? Yeah. He, he had gotten a new camera at the time. He was really excited to do something with it. So he had this idea. And then he was like, I have kids that could be actors <laughs> and we started filming and we did it like after school and stuff. So I don't, think, I don't think he ever planned on it turning into a book or whatever it is now, but like it was just supposed to be a home movie, but it's, it's good. It was a lot of fun. So I wondered uh, with that because you know you're in there. You're those are those are your brothers. So it's 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 all three kids. Uh, the, I have one brother, and then the other kid was a friend of my brother's. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So I don't know if your dad uh, has decided you're going to be his illustrator now, just because movie stardom hasn't yet <laughs> happened. <laughs> if, if he was planning to raise actors. Uh, but you'll, uh, when you make a project like that, I'm assuming that's uh, you're watching that as a family. The whole family is involved, and it's it's memories for everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. I also like a lot of my friends at the time at the school I was at got to see the film too. And even now, like while I'm making the graphic novel, like I've I've gotten messages from them through like Instagram, and they'll be like, "Wow, oh, it's it's so cool that like I remember that film and like seeing you guys make it and everything, and now you're making." book it's this like bigger deal <laughs> so cool was that add a, an extra layer of, of pressure then because this is such a cherished memory um i don't think so i think i 
kind of just see it as something to be extra passionate about and it just makes it more fun to work on. Is that, um, I'm assuming that uh, influences your um, interpretation of it as a graphic novel somewhat. It's, it's the, the art style has some similarities to what's in the film, but it's, it's, it's very clearly its own thing. Um, when you're drawing this uh, young girl, who I would call our protagonist, uh, she doesn't have a name in the, the story, although, wink, wink, I think her name is Megan. <laughs> Do you think of this, it, it, are you drawing this as it's me as a child, or is it, does she become her, your, her, her own character? Um, I feel like since so much time had passed since when, the movie was made to when I was drawing it that even though it was me there was still a bit of a disconnect where I could kind of like create a character who like maybe had a couple qualities of me because it's telling the same story and I'm supposed to be doing pretty much the same actions and everything but that it has potential that it could be somebody else like I tweaked like the hairstyle and everything like I didn't make it look exactly like me so yeah I think I think there was enough of a difference that I could kind of weave a new character into it too without completely losing the like memory of it's me ah and um did you feel I mean you follow the the film pretty closely the the story is more I mean it's not you know, shot for shot, but it's 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 a pretty close following. Did you ever consider adding some additional story, or maybe you're going to write a sequel now, uh, and 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 take it to the next journey, or is it, it kind of important to preserve that initial that initial family experience, but now in graphic novel form? I think the original idea was just to translate the film into a graphic novel and have a, a book version. Um, the process of it was, my dad didn't write a script for it, he kind of just had like a set list and then he made the film and I'm not sure he even still had the set list at the time, so the way I went about it was I watched the film and I took like screenshots of every scene and then I kind of used that as my roadmap to create all the panels and have it follow the story nicely and like page by page. Um, I don't know if we're going to write a second part to it. I feel like that would, that would be something my dad would do. So you'd have to ask him. <laughs> well, now that the graphic novel's out and it, it is absolutely charming, um, I, you know, I mean, it, it, it ends self-contained. We can walk away from it forever and we all had a good time. But there's certainly, I mean, there's more to explore in this world of, uh, of scarecrows that want their pumpkins. Yeah, I, I could definitely see it if it's well received or if he ever feels like coming back to it. We can definitely continue the story. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't say for sure, but like, I wouldn't mind doing another one. Gotcha. Uh, and when you're uh, telling a story uh, with very minimal dialogue, there's very little dialogue in the, the film. Uh, it's mostly mostly music playing over images. 
Um, and there's very little dialogue uh, on the page, which is great because I assume that saves on where you need to put your word balloons and figure out how to get all of that in there. <laughs> what opportunities does that open up for you, just telling the story visually? Um, it, I feel like it almost makes it a little bit more challenging, but I think when it's complete, it might be... I don't want to say more immersive, but people can kind of project a little bit more of their own emotions to it, I think, because when there's not a lot of dialogue, it's a lot more about, like, the body positions, like, um, what's it called, body language of the characters and um, facial expressions and everything. So... Luckily, I feel like I learned a lot of that through animation, so that came in really useful for doing graphic novel work. But unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be an audiobook. <laughs> well, I, mean, I suppose there could be like an audio snippet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't time it, but I think if you read all the dialogue out loud, you're looking at maybe if you stretched it a minute, minute and 30 seconds. Yeah, this is Squash. Hey, what's that? Hope you like the story. <laughs> well, I mean, you could do a little intro, you know, some music and Dooney Press Audio Presents. So that would eat up <laughs> 15 oh, seconds. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of narrate a backstory. Well, would you ever consider maybe taking your graphic novel and then translating it now into a stop motion film? <laughs> I I would need some space, I think, if I was going to do that. Because I, I haven't done any stop motion since like maybe a year after I graduated, which was five years ago, <laughs> 2017. But again, I think I think it's possible. I don't, I don't know if I would do it. I definitely I like doing the books now, and I feel like I see myself as a book illustrator, and especially doing graphic novels is like really fun for me. So if I can stay here, that would be cool. That's just all the time that would be going into making the squashed. Uh, stop motion film is time that couldn't be going into making additional novels. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to ask a little bit about the scarier aspects of the story as well, because there, as you mentioned, there are some some thrilling moments. Uh, with We said the scarecrow comes looking for his pumpkin. So esteemed audience can imagine if a scarecrow shows up at your house and is looking for a pumpkin, there there could be some tension. <laughs> to that experience. So when you're when you're uh, illustrating that aspect of things and you're you're trying to go for uh, scary because you want the reader involved, you want the reader to feel the the fear, um, but not too scary that uh, your young readers are going to put the book down uh, and not know the the happy ending uh, that's coming. So how how do you walk that line? How do you make it scary without being too scary? Um, I feel like I would have a tendency to go a little overboard and make it too scary, but I think trying to keep in mind that 
kids could be reading this is like maybe I'll draw something that's a little too scary but usually I'll like upload things to Google Drive and share them with my dad so we both have input on it and he can catch things like that too and be like oh, you know maybe tone it down like a little bit so luckily I think being able to work on the book collaboratively like every step of the way is really nice to be able to keep in mind like notes and like edit things along the way that hopefully keeps everything in line of like this book can be for everybody. So does that mean that there are uh, sketches someplace out there that are a little bit more terrifying that uh, maybe could be released someday? Uh, a couple. I think mostly uh, my, my book that I'm working on right now, actually, I'm kind of going back and forth because there is like a horror movie scene in it and there's like somebody's getting possessed and I'm a little bit like, I don't know if this is going to be like young, young readers, but also know there's a lot of scary video games out there right now. So maybe they'd be okay with it. I don't know. You're working on the sequel to Dweedy at, at the moment? Yeah. So the original one, I actually wasn't planning on making it a book when I started it. It was just kind of, I had a cat when I was growing up that passed away when I was like 22 years old. And so I kind of started doodling that and kind of imagining like, well, you know, I missed her. So I was like, what must she be doing if she happened to like turn into a ghost cat and like had an afterlife? What would she be doing? And I was posting that on Instagram and stuff and people were really into it. And they were like, oh, this is such a cool idea. Like she could be doing this, she could be doing that. And then I just kind of ran with it and ended up making the like short comic that came out of it and then I kind of I made like hand-bound books at first and then those were received really well and so it was taking up so much time that then I my dad had published um 6,000 donuts through Ingram and he was like well we can we can put Dweedy through it too just like print it so you don't have to like keep making it by hand and so we did that so now we have the printed version and yeah I mean people were just like well what is she gonna do next and so now I'm making a sequel and this time my only complaints about the first book were that it was too short <laughs> so the, the new book it's either going to be two books like I'm going to break it up into two books so that it kind of matches the first one or it'll be a lot longer and it'll be in color and so hopefully it's kind of like building on the first one and then eventually you can release a compilation of all of them right yeah hopefully do you have like a I mean ghost cat that's a concept that can go on forever <laughs> there's, yeah. there's do you have like a clear outline for this is where we're definitely going to end the story or uh, no 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 <laughs> I'm just kind of making it up as I go I mean I have the second book all written out and that has 
a definitive, like the story is already not finished and everything, but it's left in a place that it could still keep going afterwards. Gotcha. So if esteemed audience buys all the copies and buys copies for their friends, and that will let you know that there's enough interest that here comes book number three then. Yeah, that'll push me to make another one. Uh, and then, um, so working with your dad with, uh, with, with Dooney Press, 6,000 Donuts is, is the first one. This is a book he'd already written that he wanted to bring you in to illustrate, or was he writing it? At what point do you guys start working together on, on, on 6,000 uh, 6, uh, Donuts? Uh, with 6,000 Donuts, he was, let's say he was mostly done, but I think he was still tweaking the story and adding in parts some in some places when I started doing the illustrations for it and the spin-off of the spin-off of that book that he's working on now he's definitely still writing it but I have started on some of the illustrations for it uh he'll just like because he knows which parts that he's very sure about that he's gonna leave in the story and then which parts he's still working on if there's any parts that he's sure about, he'll send me like pieces of the manuscript so that I can read through it and then make illustrations based off of those. And then we kind of have a leg up. And so those illustrations are already done. And while he's still working on it, he'll, when he comes to the conclusion that he has another piece, he'll just send me that one and keeps going. Because uh, I'm working on my Dweedy book full-time right now but he has some health issues right now so it's a little bit slower with the writing so the second book is kind of still like a side project I guess. And is that the curse of the crummy mummy or is that something else? That's the curse of the crummy mummy. Okay so that'll be the not a sequel to 6,000 Donuts but the, the Jason novel set in the same universe? Yeah I I call it a spin-off because it's it's the same universe, but it's not necessarily con a continuation of the same story. It's like told from another character's point of view. Gotcha. Without spoiling, does that save you some time since you know what that other character looks like from the previous book as far as character designs and such? Yeah, it does. Actually, the only difficult part is trying to keep my art style exactly the same because it's been a couple of years since I did the first one so I kind of have to go back and like my art style will change ever so slightly over time so to keep it consistent I have to uh, that happens with graphic novels too actually where if it takes too long to get through something and I have to come back to it I have to like make sure that it's a consistent style and I didn't accidentally change the way I draw characters or like a couple colors or something well, when you're i mean when we're talking about something like squash which we just said is about 75 pages and you said you could get through roughly three pages a day theoretically i mean can you do something like squash in a month how long does it take to get from the start to finish project i if i was working on it full-time it would have taken a lot less time and the um, new Dweedy book that I'm working on now I think is going a lot faster. So I started it 
maybe a month or two ago, and I'm 70 pages deep right now. Hopefully that'll, that one will be coming out a lot faster. What does your ideal schedule look like? Um, like a, a daily, what, what can I do in one day? Or? Yeah, you get up, you have a cup of coffee, go for a hike, and then start uh, illustrating? Or what does your day look like? Um, my day usually looks like I wake up and my boyfriend works full time as a chef at a nursing home so I'll he'll go to work and then I just kind of work when he works so my schedule aligns with his so that's helps a lot to keep me disciplined about working full-time so I'll go to work at 9 a.m and I'll be at home but that'll be my cue to like make myself a cup of coffee and then sit down and then I'll not every day because sometimes I'll have my story already written out and I know what I'm going to draw for the pages that day but I have my story written out and I'm trying to translate it visually as best as possible so sometimes I'll take what I have written out for the story and then I'll write down kind of like if I want to change the dialogue ever so slightly or like how I want to draw things as I say it as shots because my dad and I worked with film for so much and I studied animation that it's just kind of easier to call it like this this shot and this angle and like cinematography terms so I'll just kind of sit down and I'll look at my story and then I'll draw out panels and right now I'm doing it traditionally so I'll sketch it out on paper and then I'll do the ink and then I'll scan that and I'm doing taking the traditional line work and making it digital and then like digitally cleaning it up and then I haven't started on the color yet I'm trying to get through all of the line work first so that I have the story and I can like read through it and make edits before I put all the color down on it and so it'll it'll my schedule will change a little bit not in the time that I'm working but what I'm working on because I'll switch from line work to color in probably a month or so. Uh, just out of curiosity if your boyfriend you know he's at work and he gets the the message that hey so and so is going to be sick do you mind staying another four hours does that mean you're working another four hours there at home or um usually i do try to stick to it pretty pretty religiously <laughs> um it doesn't like always work out 100 percent of the time if i have like uh, you know an appointment or like something to go to I'll, i have the free time to take it off and go and do that but yeah he's actually had to start working some extra days recently so I've been working some extra days but I don't mind because that means that I'm making more progress on the book faster so so if he wants your your books done faster he just has to work overtime and (laughs) 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 so um with the uh with 
with a finished product, I mean, when with with any of these, with a with the new Dewey book, when you're still kind of working on the story as you're drawing, at what point do you have to say, nope, I can do no more story because all my panels are mostly drawn and it's time to start finalizing and coloring? Or are you continuing to tweak the story all the way up until the day before publication? When do you have to, to commit? Um, I feel like with Squash, we were tweaking it for a pretty long time after, afterwards, which was a little annoying because, I mean, I have all of the pages in like full color and everything. So if I wanted to move around a panel, like you gotta redo the whole page. <laughs> But uh, I'm definitely trying to avoid doing that with this one a lot more, which is why I'm, like I said, I'm doing all the, the sketching and line work first and then reading through that. And I'm telling myself that I'm just gonna be okay with it <laughs> after editing all the line work and stuff. That's, that's gonna be it. And it's just gonna be coloring it and then printing. And I mean, are you, um, you know yourself better uh, than I do, obviously. Are, are you the sort of artist where once you're committed, you make your peace with it and that's that? Or is it always in your head, you know what, it could be just a little bit better. I could tweak it. I don't want to do the whole page. But I mean, if you've got to redo a whole page, you've got to feel pretty strongly about a, a change to spend all that time, right? Yeah, I definitely, I, I won't be satisfied. I'll always be thinking like, no, no, it could be a little bit better, but it's definitely that balance of like, is it worth it to go back <laughs> and spend all this time on it? And it's just, yeah, it's just a balance and mostly stopping myself and being like, no, nah, it's good. Or I'll just let somebody else read it too and be like, what do you think about this? Do you have the same notes as I do? And if you do, then I'll be like, okay, I should probably fix that. But if they think it's fine, then I'm like, okay, it's, it's just me. I need to, I need to stop. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I think uh, all artists, uh, our, our minds play tricks on us and you can't see it straight anymore past a certain point. And so it, it just looks not good enough. What does good enough look like? I don't know, but that's not it. I can make it better. <laughs> yeah. And then you start overworking it and it, it just gets worse. So <laughs> do you, um, do you set like a, a deadline? Like if do we do two were to go past a certain point, would it be time to just wrap it up and call it? Or is it just, it's, it, it takes as long as it takes. Um, I feel like right now I have the luxury of kind of being like it takes as long as it takes, but while keeping in mind that like I want it to be done as soon as possible because I want to be able to put it out there and have people read it and move on to the next book. So luckily I have that motivation that's like that's my stopping point. But Technically, I, I don't have a specific end date right now that I like have to have it done by this point. Well, you've got fans from the first book that are eagerly expecting the story, right? That's, a, that's what's part of what's pushing me to be like, I got to get it done. <laughs> are you hearing from them on a regular basis? Like, hey, Megan, how you doing? Hope, hope all's well. So how's that uh, DVD2 coming? <laughs> Uh, not, not really. Uh, luckily, uh, people are pretty, like, 
understanding about it. They're not like pestering me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Um, and then I uh, wanted to circle back to um, getting started with, with 6,000 Donuts because you guys end up uh, forming Dooney Press, right? How does, how does Dooney Press come into to be? Um, you would have to ask my dad about that, actually. I, I didn't set it up and I wasn't really involved in like the setting up of Dooney Press. It was more of him setting it up so that he could start publishing. He had earlier books before I started working with him. So he published those and then he just kind of dragged me into it and was like, I have Dooney Press and you're making books so we could put them through Dooney Press if, you know, other people didn't take up, take it up first. Because I know that you, you've got your literary agent, so you're working on the traditional side of things as well, right? Yeah, my, unfortunately, my agent and I started working together right as COVID hit. So it's been a pretty rocky startup. But I mean, we've been working on a lot of like getting my artwork ready and all, for me providing her with a lot of work that I've been working on so that she can get the work get the word out there and promote me and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I don't need to tell you, the, the pandemic uh, threw a wrench in everything. Um, how has that impacted you since you're working from, from home and I assume more even during most of the pandemic or? Yeah, I think, I feel like the pandemic was a little bit of the Kickstarter in it because I did have to find some way to work from home and that's pretty much when I started working on the first Dweedy, so that, that's when that came out and then yeah it just kind of snowballed from there I guess I just kept doing it. <laughs> and you also offer uh, services right you do We'll do covers and illustrations for higher esteemed audiences listing. They've already pulled you up online and they're they're looking over uh, squashed and 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 dweedy and they're thinking, yes, this is exactly the type of illustration that I need for my book. They can get in touch with you and and and, and do that, right? Yeah, I'm definitely open to freelance work as well. I was doing some freelance work before I started working on the books too, before I knew like this is the direction that I wanted to take everything in. So yeah, outside projects are always fun too. Well, I assume there's going to be a, a flood of middle grade authors in particular who are going to be reconsidering the, the independent route uh, now that uh, as we record this, um, Barnes & Noble has decided only to carry the, I think that's a top 2% of selling middle grade books for, for new hardcover debuts, however that's going to work out. Um, so I'm assuming that will create a flood of authors who have worked hard to craft novels and who realize that they're going to have to get creative and find other ways if uh, Barnes & Noble wants to focus on selling toys instead of books or whatever it is they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I'm noticing it a lot too as I'm trying to get our self-published books into more like local independent stores and things like that, that a lot of them are like, well, there's just, self-publishing is 
so accessible now that there's so many authors that they're putting down guidelines of like, well, you have to meet these certain criteria if you want to sell our books in here, which is fine. But I, yeah, there's definitely like a boom happening. I think. Well, hopefully that'll be the, the rising tide that lifts all ships as um, more and more people are coming into this uh, by necessity for, for no other reason. Um, there'll be, um, already we've seen, I think, the acceptance of self-published authors grow. And I assume you had the experience of uh, you talk, you reach out and are, hey, I want to talk to you about my book. And they go, self-published, get out of here. You're not a real writer. Um, I'm assuming you've, you've encountered that once or twice. Yeah, I mean, luckily, I feel like there's a little bit of like oh, self-published, but especially here in Portland, I feel like people are so supportive of like smaller independent stuff that it's, there's still a lot of people who are like, wow, this is like, I mean, you just made this by yourself and put it out there by yourself. I'm like, that's really unique and cool. We would love to have it. <laughs> I think it's also becoming a little bit more attractive because people who pay attention, I, I, I maintain that most readers don't look at who the publisher is because who cares? That's like the least interesting thing about a book. What's the story? What, 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 what's available? How am I going to have my entertainment time filled? That, that's what matters. But people who do uh, look at that, I think, have an expectation that an indie book can do things that a traditionally published book might not be able to, might not venture to. We might get something unusual. We don't usually get to see this type of book because this this won't necessarily appeal to the uh, quote unquote typical mainstream audience, but I don't care. It appeals to me and, and, and there's enough of people like me that we can have a whole fan base for this, even if it's, you know, it's not number one on Amazon this week. Yeah, and obviously I have absolutely nothing against traditionally published books. I'd like to have my own traditionally published books, but yeah, I, I do think that you're right. There's like a certain uniqueness that can come through a lot of self-published books as well. So both is good. <laughs> I've been a, a fan of, uh, of self-publishing for, for years, but especially now, as I'm just seeing more and more um, imploding on, on, on some fronts uh, from traditional publishing, it's like, well, are we going to think that maybe reading and books are just over? They had their run, now we're all going to watch YouTube videos? Or <laughs> is, is there going to be... Um, uh, uh, more of a boon as as the market was going to think there's always going to be readers, there's always going to be writers. I don't know that there's always going to be physical bookstores or at least not big chain bookstores. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be really cool, actually, because I definitely see what you're saying. We're like, technology is advancing so much. People are like, why would I read a book when I can just watch a movie? And like, I feel like not as many people are reading nearly as much as they used to, but if something, if they can pick up something unique and that is suddenly something new to them and strikes their interest and gets them reading, like, that would, that would be cool. <laughs> I hope I can do that. Well, it'll also continue to, this is, this is happening, it has been happening, but we'll also expand the 
the network, not of gatekeepers, but of awareness makers. Is that a term? Uh, where do you just reviewers and people who celebrate these types of books that can bring them to the attention of a, of a more mainstream audience and say, hey, these books exist also. Um, I went to a Barnes and Noble uh, just this last weekend. I hadn't been there since before the pandemic. Um, I'd been to a couple of other of my local indie bookstores, but I hadn't been to an actual Barnes and Noble. Um, and when I got there, I realized that the entire back of the store, in fact, I took a, a, a picture of it and it blew my mind for the entire back of the store was nothing but toys that were all priced $10, $20 above where you could find them online. So it's a great place to browse and then check online to order <laughs> the, the cheaper toy. And their book section, at least for the middle grade books, there was one section that was just Harry Potter and it was, um, four or five shelves of all the different variations of Harry Potter plus Harry Potter merch. Uh, and then there was just a horseshoe for the middle grade books um, that was about the size of what you might expect to see on a magazine rack at a, at a Kroger or a Walmart. Um, now, obviously they had adult books and uh, all, all the calendars, all the planners. And I thought, well, this is silly. <laughs> if I want to get middle grade books, why would I come to this chain bookstore that that's clearly focused more on, on selling toys when I could be, you know, I hop on my Kindle, I have access to all the books of the world. So this should hopefully be one of the greatest times that has ever been in the history of humanity to be an author because the entire world is literally available for you to reach should you decide that that's the way you want to go, right? Yeah. And luckily... Well, I don't know if it's lucky that a lot of kids are using technology as much as they are now, depending on how you look at it. But I feel like luckily because there is Kindle and stuff like that and kids are being raised to use the Internet, then hopefully that doesn't hinder them too much that Barnes & Noble only carries toys because they'll be like, well, I'll just browse all of the books online and they'll buy them maybe even directly from the author or something like they'll be able to be connected and find books through the internet just just as easily well i'm i'm extra agitated just because of i know now uh, i had the good fortune to have met and encountered so many authors that i know that this decision is going to adversely affect uh that i immediately want to take the argument of ah Get rid of these people. They have to, they have too much outsized power anyway. By God, make <laughs> all our middle grade author friends and let's go. We don't, you don't want us at Barnes and Noble. Great, we'll go elsewhere. But do continue, esteemed audience, to support your local independent bookshops um, because there's absolutely value in having that community there and being able to go there, have authors that come and and, and present. I'm I'm all for bookstores, just not big chain ones that say we're only going to carry two percent of middle grade. Uh, fiction that that gets under my crawl but <laughs> um megatosi have you ever seen a ghost and or a flying saucer uh, i wish i could say that i did <laughs> well i'm on the fence about the flying saucer one <laughs> Go on. we, we went to um we went to see a movie in a park like a few weeks ago, just like the outdoor movie kind of thing. And there was a flash in the sky that could have been a shooting star. But afterwards, there was, I was like still watching the sky, which I should have been watching the movie, but I was looking at the sky instead. 
<laughs> and there was another one that went along and appeared and it definitely wasn't a plane and it wasn't moving fast enough to be a shooting star so i think it was a ufo <laughs> but i don't know uh, i have a lot of friends and everybody who has seen ghosts and lived in haunted houses and everything so i would like to believe that every that like stuff like that exists especially because i think it would just be more interesting <laughs> if there were aliens and ghosts and stuff but personally i have not seen ghosts no aliens i'm 100 percent is convinced a thing just because of the sheer size of the the universe there's there, there's somebody out there whether or not they're coming here is a slightly different debate although i feel like there's now enough public uh publicly disclosed information via the government and other reputable well other sources um that um that yeah that's probably also a thing and ghost i was a little bit more um i was agnostic maybe because i i knew some people that thought well i think that they're absolutely they believe that they that they saw something uh but i've not talked to enough people just on this show that are obviously the smartest most brilliant best people in the world these are book people uh that are telling me about uh about ghost stories that i i'm now no longer on the fence less okay well clearly they're seeing something fair enough (laughs) i guess it must be true well my book's about a ghost, so I would hope that it's real. <laughs> There's somewhere. Also, I, I know it's been around for a while, but I recently started learning about uh, Skinwalker Ranch. I don't know uh, if you know about that, but that that definitely has me convinced. I was watching the, I think it's like a documentary about it, and I was like, that that's got to be real. <laughs> For a Steve Nodge who doesn't know, remind them, what what is Skinwalker Ranch? Uh, Skinwalker Ranch is this ranch that just a lot of alien activity is going on with it. It's, they said it was, um, it's called Skinwalker Ranch because there was something about this, like, dogs that aren't dogs, they're kind of like, I think they're like werewolves or something that are constantly like they they've seen one at the ranch and they have like documentation of it and there's just all kinds of like radioactive activity going on and there's like UFOs being seen in the sky all the time so now the documentary that I was watching was that they actually have a team of scientists out there like staying at the ranch and they're like getting videos and trying to scientifically figure out what exactly is happening at this ranch yeah hopefully it's a portal to another world or uh yeah. maybe a glitch in the reality is a simulation and that's just a glitchy area they said something about like oh maybe they think it's like a wormhole or something that would be interesting I know at one point, I don't know if he still does, but I know that Robert uh, Bigelow, famous eccentric billionaire, had bought it for a while. So I don't know. I mean, if a really rich person is willing to throw down money and, and buy a haunted place, that, that tells you something. 
Something going on. <laughs> so, well, the um, squashed is available now, and you've got your next book. The uh, do we have a, an ETA on when uh, Steve audience can be looking forward to the Curse of the Crummy Mummy? Um, I I don't have a solid end date for that right now. It's moving. It, it's going. It's a little bit slower, so it might be like a year at least. As soon as it, as soon as we have a firm date, you're going to be promoting it on social media. And I assume the esteemed audience yeah. can go to the Dooney Press and, and check there for more information as well. Yeah, I try. I mostly keep my Instagram updated. So if you do follow that, then I'll definitely keep everything updated on there. Where would esteemed audience need to go to follow you on, on Instagram and other social media? Um, my Instagram tag is magnolia.illustration, like magnolia, but Meg because Meg. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I post a lot on there about my process and working on the new Tweety book right now. And then I'll keep everything up to date on when new books are coming out and interviews that come out, podcasts. <laughs> um, I mostly use the Instagram. I also have a website that is just my name, megantosi.com. And then any other social media I have, it's all magnolia.illustration. Uh, and uh, Megan, this has been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you. You make a time for me and for esteemed audience this afternoon. My uh, last question for today, and we'll end on this, is if you could go back toward the earlier part of your career or wherever it would have been most helpful to you and give yourself some advice that would have made easier your path and might make easier the path of everybody who's watching or listening to us now, what would you go back and tell yourself? Um, I feel like that's a little bit of a trick question because I am still pretty new to everything myself and I'm still seeking out advice from other professionals. Uh, right now, <laughs> I don't even have to go back. Right now, I'm trying to work on um, marketing a lot better because it's I'm finding that it is really important, especially if you're self-publishing any books, like if you want to go that route, you have to be able to promote it yourself as well as you can. And I definitely struggle a lot with that. Um, other than that, I feel like it also kind of sits in with the self-publishing aspect. But I would say to just not wait to work, like do the work that you want to do. Uh, like if you're thinking, I would love to be making books, but I, I have to like find somebody to hire me to do it first. I, I would just, just start doing the work that you want to do. Even if you're working another full-time job, like you're passionate about it, find time to do it on the side. And then chances are you'll come up with something that then people will look at and be like, wow, this is really cool. I should hire this person to keep doing more of this work. <laughs> so yeah, just do it. Nike. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope they don't sue you or anything for that. This isn't sponsored. <laughs> well, the good news is you're on this show, so that's marketing sorted. <laughs> Problem. Working on it. <laughs> <laughs>
but no, you put your work out there, it gets noticed, and then you more work uh, arrives and comes your way. You put good things out in the world. That makes 100% sense. I think that's the uh, the perfect note to end on. Uh, make sure, esteemed audience, you get your copy of Squashed, available September 20th, or if you're listening to us after that, just go get it. It's already available. Uh, for uh, more information, uh, as well as for more interviews with uh, literary agents, editors, authors, all the world's best people, and information about my books, head to middlegradeninja.com. And God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.